Authors on the Air. Welcome to Authors on the Air. I'm Terry Shepard. Teresa McRae writes historical fiction. Her work focuses on slavery, abolition, and romance. It's meticulously researched, richly told, and follows the Garrisons, a multiracial family born out of a relationship between an enslaved woman and her masters. Her three books in the series are Mamie Garrison, Colin Garrison, and Emily Garrison. And her protagonists include Belle, a present-day lawyer with a paranormal gift who discovers her Garrison connection when she inherits a 19th century home from her grandmother. Full disclosure, I had the honor of narrating book one in the series. And here's a taste of that story as we read a selection from Mamie Garrison. I am as much Queenie's child as I am Colin's, although father and mama Mary chose to ignore the events of my birth. I remember almost everything about my life with my mother from as far back as my memories will go. She had me call her Queenie. She did not want anyone to know I was her child, although most everyone did. She thought it would make her seem too old to be doing what she was doing. Of course, I don't remember the baby years. Queenie said everyone fussed over me and cuddled me. I was generally well taken care of, being that it was a house full of women. When I started to walk, Queenie left me with an older woman next door. Mama B, that's what everyone called her. And she probably was the mother of one of the girls, but I never did know which one. I never knew anything else about her except that she gave me sweets and was kind. I never went to school. Negro children were not allowed to be educated at that time. I stayed in Queenie's room on the days I was not with Mama B. There was a cot in there behind an old Japanese screen, which was my bed, and my toys, such as they were, were hidden in a closet so customers wouldn't see them when Queenie worked. Queenie loved me in her own way. Some days she would get permission from Miss Annie, who ran the place, to take the day off, and she would dress herself and me in our finest clothes. We would go to town and have little cakes and coffees at the colored restaurant in the docks. The owners of the restaurant were always nice to Queenie, and I think she secretly hoped the owner's son, Ralph, would marry her. But that never happened. Teresa McRae, welcome to Authors on the Air. What inspired you to tell this story? Originally, it was a totally different story. Somewhere along the way in, re in editing and reviewing, I decided that Mamie was really the character that the book should be about. So I began to rewrite. And I think it just came very, very naturally to me. It, I didn't seem to have to stop and think. You know, the words sort of flowed. And I realized... It was the story I was supposed to tell. My ex-husband, who I was married to for a number of years, was a black man. And so I, I was, for 28 years, I was, you know, a part of his family. I think I began to um, learn a lot about black families and, and black people in general. Things that you wouldn't know unless you were that closely connected with someone. Something about war always intrigued me. I didn't really think the Civil War would intrigue me as much as it did. But in the course of my research, 
I came upon the Maritime Underground Railroad, which was a whole new thing to me. That that part I really didn't know. I mean, I sort of knew that, you know, they took people on boats and they snuck people out, but I didn't know a whole lot about it. And that sort of became the idea that, okay, this is the way that Mamie is going to help people escape. I've always sort of rooted for the underdog, too. You said this was a story you felt compelled to tell. There's a quote, and every once in a while it goes through Facebook. There's a story inside you that's waiting to be told, and only you can tell it. I loved that quote. Even as a kid, I wrote little stories. I wrote little things here and there, nothing of any good. I always wrote poetry. I always was writing. So it wasn't really new to me to actually sit down and write a book. But I knew as I was reading through the notes from my original story, I read this part about Mamie and I said, okay, she's the story that needs to be told. And then as soon as I did that, it was like all this stuff just like fell into my head. I guess I was still sort of looking for the one thing that was going to really jump out at me. Mamie just jumped out at me. She's a lot me, a lot my daughter. I very much put myself into the main characters, her tenacity. Tony Morrison said, if there's a book that you want to read, but it hasn't been written yet, then you must write it. So you were in the ballpark on that one. I knew as soon as I realized that she was supposed to be the main character, I knew that I had that story inside me. I just knew that I did. Being the type of person I am, I believe that if I lived back then, that I would probably be one of those people who was on the Underground Railroad trying to save people. Because that's definitely my personality. The story's told from two perspectives, from Mamie's and from Bella's. Tell us about Bella. Bella is also me. She is uh, a lot of the modern day me. I'm a Gemini. I don't know how many people are into horoscopes or anything, but the Geminis are the twins. So I definitely have two different sides to me. She's my more intellectual, playful side. She's the type that would meet a guy in a library and try and start up a conversation with him. I mean, maybe in my younger days. Anyway, I had intended when I graduated college to go on to law school. And as it turned out, I didn't. But I still have quite a fascination and respect for the law. So my uh, father was a lawyer. And then there's Andrew, the librarian, who is Bella's love interest. How did you create that character? Andrew is probably the man of my dreams. He is extremely intelligent, a historian, but he's also got a very sensual side to him, I want to say. He also has a very interesting background. He is probably the man that if if I could like say, okay, God, make me this man, that it would be Andrew. (laughs) Teresa McRae is our guest. The book is Mamie Garrison, A Tale of Slavery, Abolition, History, and Romance. Here's a little non-spoiler exposition about the present day characters in Mamie Garrison. Bella comes to live in the home that once belonged to Mamie Garrison after she inherits it from her late grandmother. When she discovers Mamie's journals in the attic, she seeks out Andrew, a researcher at the local library, to see what else she can discover about her biracial background and about the mysterious woman who documented her life during the mid-1800s. The story is filled with authentic historical details. I sense echoes of Frederick Douglass and W.E.B. Du Bois in your book. 
How did you research the tale? Douglas and, and Du Bois were two of the people that had a number of books. And then I read some fiction books by some Black authors of the time. You know, I kind of really immersed myself in that culture. There were a lot of things that I that I wanted to include, but it, there was just too much. There was there was so much that I could have put in the book. As it was, there were some scenes that were very difficult to write, are still difficult to go back and read. I have never gone back and read Mamie Garrison because I remember there were times when I felt like my heart was being ripped out of my chest. Many of the stories that I relate, particularly the slave stories, and this continues in Colin Garrison, were stories that I found in books and I changed the names to protect the innocent and all that, you know, but they were basically based on, you know, real life stories that I had read. Describe the process of how the Underground Railroad worked in that part of the country prior to the Civil War. Well, what would happen is there were slaves that worked on the plantations along the Cape Fear River. Usually they were the most trusted slaves of the slave owner. And they would ferry goods back and forth to the docks at Wilmington. That was where most of the ships would be docked. In the course of ferrying objects back and forth, a number of them took it upon themselves to ferry people. Sometimes they got caught, sometimes they didn't. And this was just one of the ways that people got to the docks to get on the ships. They um, were in collusion with the um, porters that worked on the docks that helped load the ships. And it was a whole network of people from the, from the slaves to the people who ferried them down the river to the people that worked on the docks, the porters that worked on the docks. And they would, they would um, either pay the, pay the ship's captain or sometimes the ship's captains did it for free to hide people on the boat and so they would hide the slaves and i mean there's there's wonderful stories about people who were hidden in barrels and people who were hidden in boxes and you know and then they they got them on the ship and as soon and they would kind of time it so that they would get on like as close to when the ship was leaving as possible and then the ship would take off and nobody would know any better was the ship's captain in on it too they would always look through their inventory before they would leave and everything. So I think in most cases, the captain had to be sort of in on it. Sometimes they paid the captain to do it. Sometimes the captain agreed to do it for free just because he believed what they were doing. There was a lot of abolitionists around, you know, much more than people realize, but they were very underground, obviously, which is why the Underground Railroad became what it was. So I thought it was fascinating how they were able to get people onto the ships. And when I started researching it, I didn't find as much about that as I did about overland. It wasn't as popular to try and get them on boats. Teresa McRae is our guest. She's the author of the Garrisons Trilogy. Her website is T-E-R-E-S-A-M-C-R-A-E.com. And she's at Facebook.com, Teresa McRae. That's her main social media outpost. What's the reaction been to the book? I think when it first came out, I got as far as like, Number eight, I still do get quite a bit of readership. Tell us about your writing process. What happens between the time you had all the research done and the time the story ended up on the page? English was my best subject. I was pretty good at being able to put together a decent essay. You know, I remember in college, my professors used to say that they loved the way I wrote. There really are no rules. 
there's some ways that work better than others. But I think that if you write a good book, somebody's going to read it. As far as sentence structure and all that, I had editors. And so that was pretty much getting it on paper. I'm very undisciplined about writing. I don't have like a specific time and day where I sit down and write. Did the writing get easier with the second and third book? It got easier because I knew the tone and the voice now. Colin in the second book, he picks up what happened during Reconstruction. There was like a whole second sort of wave of slavery under the guise of them being emancipated. A lot of slaves did leave, but some of them that didn't, what they did was they became part of this system where they would work for their former slave owner, who was now their employer, and they would continue to work for them. But then the employer would take the money that he would normally pay them. He would always reduce the amount by, well, I gave you the clothes and I gave you the food and I gave you this, that, and the other thing. And so by the time they were done, there was really no money left. The most horrible thing about it was there were laws about loitering and they would find mostly young black men. If they weren't busy doing something they were supposed to be doing, they would find a reason to arrest them and throw them in the, in the local jails. And then owners of the former plantations would come and bail them out. And then for years they would be working, paying off what they were supposed to, but they never could get caught up because the former owner or the owner of the plant of the former plantation would continually charge them for things. So it became like a vicious circle. And then a lot of the young men that were arrested and some women too, they were sent to different big industries. Steel was probably the worst. The steel companies would say, oh, we need 20 men. And they would send them 20 young black men. And they would basically work to slave labor. They didn't get paid. They were even treated as slaves. A lot of times they slept in these one room barracks and were often chained together by the ankles and things like that. So there really was, there was like a whole nother slavery after slavery. In book one, Bella has a bit of paranormal in her. Yes, she does. And it kind of runs in her family through her grandmother going back to Scotland. I made her background and her grandmother was one who was mystical in the sense that she could see spirits, but not necessarily people. She could feel and sense things around her. She was very what they call clairsentient. So Bella inherited that from her. And as with most children, and and this is just my own personal beliefs here now, because I think most children do have the ability to be very clear sentient, but I think that it's sort of bred out of them. And so that kind of is what happened with Bella is that her father, who also had a gift to a much lesser extreme, saw it in her and tried to sort of ignore it and sort of work it out of her. For years, she sort of forgot about that whole side of her. And then when she moved into the house, it started coming back. Her ability to um, feel and sense the spirits of her ancestors around her. With Bella, she sometimes can actually even see them. And that figures in the third book, mostly uh, with Emily Garrison. Emily is the child that was born during a storm. She is the extremely paranormal one. She can see and hear and She's clairvoyant and clairsentient and clairaudient and all this other stuff. You know, she's all that. Is that a part of who you are too? 
pretty much. I don't remember as much of it when I was young. I probably wasn't as aware of it as I am now. I don't I don't see spirits. I don't see I don't see dead people. Sometimes I wish I would because I miss my brothers like crazy. But I definitely feel I feel the spirits of people around me. I know that there are ancestors with me watching me. I do have a very mystical side to me and I read tarot and I am involved in the sort of the esoteric arts, but not to any great degree. What's next? What are you writing now? A lot of people have asked me to write more about the garrisons, but I feel like I've written everything I can say about Mamie, you know, and, and her family. I, 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 do, I feel like I, I said what I needed to say, but Bella and Andrew are another story. They're young. They have lives, long lives to live. You know, they just had a baby a couple of years ago. I'm hoping that they will be the main characters of the next series of books where they will begin investigating different antiques that tend to show up in their museum. People either send them in or bring them, bring it, bring the antique to them. And then they have to begin this research. And the antique ends up going back to the uh, Fenian Rising in, in Ireland. I've pretty much got my outline done. Uh, it's not as detailed as I would like it to be, but it's, I usually don't start out with a very detailed uh, outline anyway. It usually gets more detailed as I go on. I'm, I'm thinking of the first book's probably going to be about, about 200 pages. You know, now that I say that now, if I get off on a tangent or something that I feel needs to be said, it could end up being longer. But I had this idea about them, you know, one antique per book. They're dealing with an antique in each book. And the, the story of what's behind the antique is sort of the main focus of the book. But there will be a lot about Bella and Andrew's life, you know, sort of weaved in and out throughout the book. Teresa McRae, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, they can use my website, TeresaMcRae.com. I'm always on Facebook. I have an author page on Facebook. People can always message me there. That's probably the best ways to reach me. The book is... Mamie Garrison, A Tale of Slavery, Abolition, History, and Romance. It's the first of three. The second is Colin Garrison, the story of Mamie's son. And then Emily Garrison finishes out the Garrison trilogy. Teresa McRae, thanks so much for being on Authors on the Air. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Authors on the Air can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. We invite you to explore the many other podcasts that focus on the craft aggregated at the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Our theme music was written by Pavlo Butorin. I'm Terry Shepard, and I'll see you in the next chapter. 